Are you interested in changing a part of your life? Whether it's finances, relationships, reducing stress, or just personal health, sometimes just changing a few small things can bring great rewards. Welcome to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wadwa. We'll provide possible steps you need to see these improvements. All we ask is that you try them out. Now, here is Dr. Serena Wadwa. Hi, and thanks for joining us today, listeners. We are joined by Dr. Carla Stein Graber. Did I say that right? Yeah, Stein Graber. Graber, thank you. Um, And she's on today to talk about effective parental wellness. So she's going to kind of wrap up a few different um, areas here. Um, She's worked many years with parents and children in and out of the foster care system, um, a variety of settings, worked within a variety of different states, and specializes in parental strategies. So really has um, the background for talking about this topic. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's, let's, you know, just kind of jump right in here. And when you say, um, when you think about the the phrase parental wellness, what, what comes to mind for you? What are you referring to when you think of that? Well, in general, it has a lot to do with parents feeling good about themselves and confident as parents. Um, I've certainly seen it where parents get very overwhelmed when children are acting in unusual ways or when they're just really stressing them out because the parents are very busy, they're, they're working, they've got many appointments to attend to, et cetera, or they're driving their children around to many different activities. So it's really easy for parents to get overwhelmed and overstressed and, and not really feel competent or confident anymore in, in what they're doing and the choices they're making for their family. So when you talk about like... Um unusual ways like children that may uh, act? What, what exactly are you referring to there? Well, that can certainly vary pretty broadly. I, I mean, it could be as simple as a child tantruming in a public place, which can be incredibly uncomfortable for parents. Um, <laughs> Embarrassing maybe sometimes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it can be as um, unusual as, you know, a child smearing feces on the wall or something like that. When, you, when you've gotten a child perhaps from the foster care system who's been very abused, you can certainly see very unusual behaviors that are hard to manage, hard to tolerate. Okay, so let's start with, um, you know, like, because I wonder if listeners, you know, oftentimes um, parents may even question whether or not certain behaviors are quote-unquote normal for things. So I guess that relates to what you're talking about in terms of unusual. Um, you know, and you mentioned like the, the tantrum piece. Is that is that uh, something that is quote unquote a normal part of a child uh, developing or is that like one of those um, uh, behaviors that parents really need to, to pay attention to? Well, a little bit of both, and so far that uh, the term normal is a little bit confusing because a lot of it has to do with what has the child experienced um, and what is normal as a result of that. Um, And, you know, so tantrums, are they common? They're incredibly common. Uh, They are... 
very typical. They're sort of a control maneuver. It's Ugh. a way a child really can manipulate a situation. And, you know, I use the term manipulate a little cautiously because at the end of the day, all of us are or have been manipulative at one point or another. So it's normal, mm-hmm. but we just don't like for it to continue indefinitely throughout <laughs> a person's life. <laughs> We, so you're saying that parents, or just in general, we don't want um, manipulative, quote-unquote, behavior to continue as a child develops. Yeah, for sure. Okay. for sure. Now, when you say children, can you give, um, like, an age range? Well, I, I mean, we all have different <laughs> ways of canceling at many different ages. But uh-huh. there's, there's going to be a big difference if there's a three-year-old on the floor pounding his hands and, and feet um, versus a 12-year-old. Oh, uh, yes. So it, it would be very unusual for a 12-year-old to be doing that, although it is possible it, it has happened. Have you seen that? I have. <laughs> have you really? Okay. I have, yes. <laughs> okay. And so when, you know, like, so I guess what you're also suggesting, too, is that, you know, when parents are trying to understand what's going on with their kids, I mean, part of it is really looking at how old is their child and is this is this behavior that's coming out appropriate for, for whatever age the child right. is? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. And is there like a time frame that you can offer to listeners about like um, – I don't know, like when when they're able to like stop monitoring that kind of thing. Oh, I I think that's a little bit tricky. In so far that I, I'm sure you, somebody's 15 year old will go and slam the door at some point, and that's certainly a 15 year old tantrum. Uh, so <laughs> you're you're never really done. I think with monitoring that until they've become independent and left the house at that point. There's uh, not much you can do to intervene anymore. When they leave, when they're old enough to that's, leave and, and right. be on their own. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a few uh, parents' bubbles that have been bursted there. <laughs> so sorry to tell you that. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is uh, when when children are acting. And and again, we're focusing on behavior. We're not actually focusing on the child themselves. Is that is I just want to make sure that I'm clarifying that difference. Is that kind of what you're pointing well, you know, at? It's a really important difference actually, because a lot of times you might hear somebody saying you're being bad or something like that. And it is really relevant to differentiate the behaviors the child is exhibiting and who this child is. Because almost all children, with some very rare exceptions, they're good people and they're good children, but sometimes their behavior really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I just, I'm just thinking about times like when I was in a a grocery store or a department store and I'll see a child just, you know, throwing a tantrum or really just creating a scene and, you know, just seeing the mother or, and, or the father just not knowing what to do. (laughs) Right. Feeling really helpless in the moment. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I imagine just by from their looks, you know, on their faces, that that is a very um, powerless kind of feeling sometimes. Well, that's when you know the tantrum is working. 
Uh, oh, interesting. Can you talk more about that? Well, it's, it's, it is about gaining control. The child wants something, whatever it might be, attention or the candy bar or not to be in that store anymore. And the parent has some other kind of mission to, to get through whatever the project is in a particular amount of time. And so the two wills are at odds. And so, you know, if a child has at several points said, I don't want to go or I don't want to be here or I want the candy bar or something, they've certainly tried to let you know what they want and they just haven't gotten the response they wanted. And so they go to the next step to to make their will happen. Ah, okay. So it really is a battle of the wills. It is a battle of the wills for sure. Oh my gosh, you know what? That might be a really good movie title. <laughs> and it's all about tantrums in the grocery store. Exactly. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> you could write the book on that, The Battle That's of the right. Wills. <laughs> that, that might make an interesting book. Yeah. Um, so let's let's go back then to, because you mentioned um, that some of this behavior is going to be a pretty, um, what's, I'll use normal in a very loose way, according to uh, the child's age, and that, you know, parents will need to be uh, just observing, you know, as this behavior is continuing, what's going on and stuff like that. And, you know, this sense of like, because it is such a battle of wills, is there something that you can suggest or talk more about in terms of what can parents do in um, like to not feel so um, manipulated, powerless, helpless, those kinds of things? Yeah, well, I first of all, I, I think it's really important to just know that almost all children will do this. And so when your child is tantruming someplace, most people are looking on and thinking, I've been there. <laughs> and so they're, they're relating to you a lot more than, than actually judging you. And so mm. to, to move away a little bit from that self-consciousness or that, that worry that there's something that you're doing that isn't right, and you know, to support that further, nobody's born with the golden book of perfect parenting. So right. it's not like there's this magical way that you can handle that situation that everybody else knows about and you don't. So mm. it's not going to be that kind of a situation. The other thing is to pay attention when it's happening. Is this happening every time you go to the grocery store and you're checking out at the and the candy bars are there? <laughs> what can you do to prepare for that situation? You know, that might be a situation where you you tell your child already on the way to the grocery store, if we get through this shopping trip and you don't throw a tantrum, then at home you'll get a candy bar. And you start to displace a little bit or move a little bit the reward outside of the area where the tantrum is happening. So it's so it's kind of like a um, um, like you're delaying that in some way, right? Yeah, you're teaching delay of gratification. That's exactly it. Okay, and so well, what happened? I mean, I think that's a really great. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for strategy is, you know, in terms of like, okay, so what you're suggesting for parents to do is to initially kind of take a look at when does this happen mm -hmm. and where is it happening? 
and then to be um, proactive about it so that they're not going to be encountering this, this sense of helplessness and powerlessness is that they can really say, okay, when we check out, if you do X, Y, or Z, then, um, you know, when we get home, then you can have A, B, and C. Is that kind of the strategy you're talking about? Right. Yeah, exactly that. And and I want to underscore the the discussing of the issue with the child, too, um, because all that preparation work, when you talk with the child about it and you anticipate for the child what's going to happen, how they're going to feel, what they're going to want, um, you get their brains working and thinking. And that's already one step closer towards using their words instead of acting out. So in a sense, too, even by um, talking with the child about this uh, delay, that you not only are helping to help them delay gratification, but then you're also um, helping them develop uh, cognitively, like in their thinking and in their um, brain way and whatever the case may be, and uh, that kind of a thing. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, parental wellness, and uh, stay tuned. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drserenawathwa at gmail.com. That's drserenawathwa at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right, and welcome back. We're here with Dr. Uh, Stein Graber about effective parental wellness, and I hope I got that right the second time at least. Yes. 
awesome. Okay. And we're talking about, you know, before we went to break, we talked about this idea, you know, this suggestion you had for parents that if in order to help them reduce their sense of um, helplessness and powerlessness with unusual behavior from their children, that one thing that can be helpful is to help their children with preparing for the situation or that parents can prepare for the situation by, you know, talking with their child, having a dialogue, letting them know that, you know, if you um, behave appropriately or well in this situation, then when we get home, I'll give you X, Y, or Z, or, you know, we'll go do A, B, and C. And, you know, I, I just kind of wonder, because I don't know if this is like a, um, um, one of those topics that has two sides, you know, to it that are pretty heavily divided. I wonder though, if there is, um, a perception that that's like bribing your child. Well, I, you, I guess it depends a little bit on how you use it. If you make up everything on the fly, then it certainly can become that kind of thing where they're constantly expecting it. So if mm. you're, you're in a situation and you're constantly saying, well, if, if you behave well here, then, then I'll get you that new iPod. And it can't be excessive and it can't be um, constantly happening. So it's got to be appropriate to the situation, et cetera. So I'll give you some examples. I mean, the reality is all of us do things because we're motivated, because there's a reward in place. Mm -hmm. So we don't run a red light when there's a red light camera (laughs) because (laughs) there's a consequence of getting that $100 ticket. Um, And, you know, there's a reward for showing up to work. You get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about it a little bit more broadly insofar that we all are motivated by something. And we're teaching delay of gratification. School is all about delay of gratification. If you study, if you do your homework, and you get good grades, then you graduate. If you graduate, Mm -hmm. you'll hopefully get a better job. And if you get a better job, then you'll get better pay. Mm -hmm. With better pay, you can get better stuff. (laughs) That kind of thing. So there's a, a major delay of gratification there. So it does help to teach your children delay of gratification, and it does help to have rewards and consequences that are logical. So if you have a child who is misbehaving because they're talking inappropriately, cursing, name-calling, etc., then an appropriate consequence would maybe be they don't get to use the phone with their friends for 24 hours. Mm. So it's related somehow. And with the, the candy in the grocery store, if, if you're having such a major problem, here's your choice. You can have them tantrum in the store and you ignore it and you just get through it. You can do that. Eventually, the behavior will extinguish if, they're, if it's not working. But if you are getting them that candy bar right away to stop them from tantruming, you are doing this. You are bribing them at that moment. Ah. So we're working, or what I'm trying to demonstrate in that case is working on delay of gratification. That if they can get through this situation, there will be a candy bar waiting for them at home, or or something else that's relevant. But in this case, the candy bar, in place of the candy bar at the store, helps with that delay. Okay. So so a lot of it is really about. Um, 
it really is about teaching children that they can't always get what they want in the moment that they want it. Exactly, yeah. Okay, and that it's not so much that they'll never get it. It's just right now at this moment, it's not going to happen. At some point, it will. Yeah, for most things. For For most most things. things. Yeah. So, like, can you give an example? Like you mentioned, I mean, I just want to go back – go back a moment because you mentioned that um, part of what you thought was important about that is the discussion of actually having it with the children, you know, about presenting them the situation and saying, here, here are your choices. Here's what you can decide what you want to do, you know, and here's, here's, you know, if you want to have the tantrum and then you could have the tantrum or you can wait. And then um, when we get home, I will give you X, Y, or Z. And, you talk about why, or you mentioned that it is important to have that discussion with them to let them know that you really don't want to be doing that kind of stuff um, just just spontaneously, so to speak. And I'm a little curious about what um, you know how that works. That like if I'm if I'm with a child and um, you know we're at uh, let's say the park, and then all of a sudden they want to keep. Um, pulling their pants down and, and, you know, urinating in the, the dog area. This is just off the fly. I'm not saying it ever happened. Um, but like, so you're suggesting that it's important for me then to actually have this conversation with this child and, and say, here, here's kind of your choices. What do you want to do? It certainly helps. You know, if this is a typical behavior, it's one thing if it's, it's happened one time, Okay. Who knows what the reason might be? Children are curious. They try things out. Mm-hmm. So it could be it's just one of those things that happens. Um, if it's something that they're doing typically, definitely it is important to have conversations with them all the time, regardless of what age they are. I mean, you can have these conversations with a two-year-old. I'm not saying that the two-year-old can answer back and give you right. a thorough explanation. However, their receptive language, their ability to comprehend what you're saying is significantly better than their expressive language, what they can Mm. say to you. So already saying to them something like, we're going to the park, and I know you like to go potty in the dog area, but it's not okay to go potty there. Where is it okay to go potty? And have them show you. You know, is it maybe the toilet in the house or if they wear a diaper or whatever the situation may be and have that conversation. And if you do that often enough, they will learn the right answer, just like Mm. studying for any test. They will be able to tell you. And if they then continue to do the thing you don't want them to do, you can ask them depending on what age they are, what that's about, what does it mean, what are they really trying to say to you. And if they're too young to do that, you can certainly start interpreting for them. Mm. You know, if it were a two- or a three-year-old, I might say something like, it seems like you're really pissed off about something. <laughs> yeah, Tying it back into the fact that they're peeing in a dog area in this example. <laughs> Or, no pun intended. <laughs> well, no pun specifically intended. Oh, Actually, specifically. you're okay. trying to really translate it into something that resonates with them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because so, usually these behaviors, they have a real meaning, and we've got to decipher what it's about. They didn't just pick that out of thin air. 
Ah, so you're even suggesting like for parents that may, um, you know, like to, in order to work with either unusual behavior and set, and even set boundaries, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, that really looking at the behavior and that it, the implication may be it's relating to something else that's going on for the child. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Okay. What about, um, like, you know, so you mentioned about, uh, preparing for the situation, you know, that may be happening repetitively. Is there anything else that parents can do in order to just kind of maintain their own sense of, um, helplessness, powerlessness, um, you know, not, thinking that they're the ones in the wrong all the time, Um, you know, obviously depending on what their reaction is, you know, what may be appropriate or inappropriate. Um, But is there a way to kind of lessen their own um, sense of that? I I think what helps a lot is staying calm. Mm. The less you, you are losing your cool, the more you can really observe what's happening, even if the situation is making you anxious or self-conscious or feeling judged. If you can just stay calm, you still have much more space to think than you do if you're reacting. Okay, so even um, that, that, so just not getting angry even. Well, not expressing it. Not expressing o- it. Overtly in a, in a very... Uh, expressive way. <laughs> <laughs> like yelling. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's okay to talk through your anger. If you say to your child, you know, I'm getting really upset right now. Mm-hmm. Why don't we go home and talk about it? Mm-hmm. it? Just It gives you much more self-control and much more space to think and not get so pulled in and not feeling so overwhelmed. It's kind of a loop in the sense that the situation might be making you anxious, angry, and overwhelmed, but then you being that and and therefore getting very expressive with your, your upset feelings is going to feed into you being more overwhelmed. Mm. Because that's, then you're giving in to what the child was going for, most likely. They were trying and, to get you off your game. Ah, okay. And, so, and then by you reacting in a way that may be... Um, inappropriately expressive, like yelling at them or throwing another tantrum, you know, like to match theirs or whatever the case may be, then it's kind of like, and I don't know if you're going to agree with this, but it's kind of like, quote unquote, they won. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. Then the two of you are feeding off each other instead of moving in the direction that you ultimately want to move in. Oh, and so that can even shape um, like later behavior and later life. Certainly. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like um, some of the things that really can help, I just kind of want to summarize and see if there's anything else you want to add to this. But, you know, you're talking really about that when there are, um, when children are behaving um, in an unusual way. So we're looking at something that's kind of out of character, maybe, or a repetitive behavior that um, tends to be I don't know, ineffective or overly expressive, whatever, depending on what's happening. That that one way really to address it is um, talking with the child to prepare for what's going to happen and then also to stay calm. Right. Great. Okay. I'm wondering, um, you know, kind of with that stuff, is it, is it, it's, is it common 
for children to demonstrate unusual behavior? Yeah, depending on how you define that, but certainly every child will most likely at some point do something you really don't want them to do. And they will find different ways of achieving their ultimate goal, which is getting their way. Okay. And so that's really what it's about is looking at, you know, what is it that they're wanting and how is it coming out and what is it you could do as a parent to help with that? Certainly. You know, the only other example uh, that comes to mind very quickly that um, also triggers unusual behavior is if there has been a big change or a big event in the child's life, for example, the birth of a sibling, you will see a reaction or acting out behavior in the face of that um, and helping them understand what their behavior means is really helpful. Oh, great. All right. Well, stay tuned and we'll come right, we'll uh, be right back talking about uh, parental wellness. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You read about it in health news every day. Cancer rates are going up. Obesity in the U.S. is on the rise. Heart disease and diabetes are top killers every year. We can follow the advice of our doctor, but cravings persist. Weight goes up and energy is still down. It doesn't have to be like this. Tune in for Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. You'll learn how you can work with your body to feel better and look better, too. Body Balance Talk airs live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Serena Wadwa at gmail.com. That's Dr. Serena W A D H W A at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All 
right. So thanks for staying tuned. And we are talking about parental wellness with Dr. Carla Steingraber. And, you know, in the last break, we were talking about um, a couple different things that parents can do in order to not feel so um, uh, powerless and helplessness in situations with their children, you know, because of the fact that that's what happens when children throw tantrums or there's other unusual or um, behavior that seems inappropriate or they're concerned about. And, you know, I'm wondering in more of a ge- general sense, um, what what are some of the important principles that you believe are necessary to create um, a parental strategy that that is going to be effective? You know, because we talked a little bit about um, preparing for a situation that may come up, that parents can talk with their kids about that. And I'm wondering, you know, what are some of those principles that maybe parents can draw from um, in developing uh, strategies to work with their kids? Well, one thing that is incredibly important is that um, all the people in the household, if there's more than one parent, if there are grandparents involved, if there are daycare workers involved, et cetera, that everybody's on the same page as to what the rules are. Mm. That is so important. When everybody's got sort of their own rules, not to say that grandmother can't have slightly different rules, like it's okay to jump on her furniture, but it may not be at home. Uh, But still, it's important that there's a lot that is the same and that the other people who are helping to parent the child are supporting what the primary parent or parents are saying. Okay, so one, one principle to be mindful about is that and is that like so? One principle is that people are on the same page about what's what is going to happen in certain situations. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're trying to shape a particular behavior, maybe it's uh, respectful language or no aggressive behavior, etc. Then everybody's got to agree that's right. And when it happens, uh, there's a consequence for it. Okay. And is that something then that, um, like, so let's say it's a, a, a two-parent household. So both parents then need to talk about that and agree on it and then be able to support each other with that. Yeah, yeah. The worst okay. thing that could happen is that mom says something's okay and dad says something isn't okay. The child will learn how to use that. Yeah, and then plus they get a lot of mixed messages, too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, which can be very, well, I know it's confusing for me when I get mixed messages, and and I'm an adult, so (laughs) I can just imagine what it's like for a kid. (laughs) All right, so being on the same page and and being able to negotiate, um, you know, this is the behavior we want to work on, these are the consequences we want to give. Right, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, uh, And... in addition to that consistency that has to be there between parents or the adults who are the authority figures in the child's life, there has to be consistency within the person. So if you're going to give a consequence for, say, aggressive behavior, always give a consequence for aggressive behavior and make Mm. sure it's the same consequence until you change what the consequence is. And then you would... In that case. So the, and then you apply that that new thing in all situations 
relating to, for for example, aggression. Right. So can you give uh, maybe an example of that, like how that may work in terms of like I'm because what I'm thinking like is let's say that, you know, my two year old is um, uh, displaying aggressive behavior. And that's something that I want to using a term that you used extinguish. I want to get rid of it. And so you're suggesting that, okay, every time I see this aggressive behavior, I'm applying a consequence to it or maybe a reward when they're not doing it. Um, And then that stays consistent, like, for the rest of their childhood, the rest of their lives, the rest of their, you know, how long does that go for? Until it's either not working or not needed. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's not working, meaning that we're not seeing any kind of difference in their behavior. Yeah, like if the child is always being aggressive, say, hitting their sibling, and you give them a timeout, and uh, you keep doing it, but it's having zero impact, and you've been doing it now for two weeks, three weeks consistently, Mm -hmm. then you know that consequence is not working for whatever reason. Uh, and Oh, so that's when you mean then to change the consequence. Right. Then you've got to uh, rethink what the consequence is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the two principles that you've mentioned so far is be on the same page if you're in uh, more than a one or a one parent household. And two is that you are staying consistent with the consequence and or the reward for um, for a behavior or a quote-unquote against a behavior, right, so to speak. Right, Okay. Are there any other principles that need to be followed? Yeah, certainly whatever rules you have have to be clear, fair, and age-appropriate. You know, it really doesn't make sense to ask a three-year-old to make their bed every day in a perfect fashion or set the table, uh, you know, when they're just not tall enough or capable enough to do it that way. Oh darn! Okay, <laughs> I can just—I could just imagine why, but why not? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so so clear, fair, and age appropriate, and you know, age appropriate wise. I mean, have you like in your experience working with children and with parents? Have you seen that there are like is there misinformation out there about what's age appropriate? I don't know necessarily that there's a ton of misinformation. However, what I do see a lot is that parents are really just overworked in many ways. And one thing that we tend to reach for a lot is TV and and, uh, gaming systems to occupy the children when we know we're going into a situation where they might be bored or upset or something. We just shove them in front of some kind of an electronic device and let that take over. Ah, okay. And what does that mean to you, you know, in in terms of uh, parenting and wellness? It has a lot of consequences. On the one hand, it really short circuits your connection with the child and you having an interaction with the child about what you're both aiming for and going for. They also don't learn a ton of delay and it really makes this, um, process that's happening a lot now of instant gratification much more intense and in that you need to be distracted. Go to any restaurant and you'll find at least a table where all five people are on their phones oh, yeah. instead of talking to one another. 
Yeah. So do you think that has a lot to do with how um, parents actually parent? Is technology, does that, I mean, it it's sounds like a the, lot. Yeah. it is happening a lot. A lot. So, th- and, and it sounds like it's pretty um, disturbing to some degree how, how that's happening. Yeah. And I, I would even say that even though there are electronic devices that are quote-unquote tailored towards the very young, like for three-year-olds. They have all kinds of very fancy devices that claim to improve their their reading or color recognition or what have you, and they might do that. However, they do learn that cartoon characters and the electronic device with the bright lights um, is so very interesting and books that don't have moving cartoon figures and that time spent with sitting on the parent's lap reading or coloring or whatever it might be is not as interesting. Oh, that is really interesting. So it really is teaching students, I mean, not students, uh, children, just like this is where you're going to be more stimulated from. Yeah, Okay. Okay. And, you know, just out of the blue question kind of a thing, does that then impact like how they may um, seek uh, stimulation later in life? It seems to be looking like it's headed in that direction. I see. You know, just anecdotally, um, without doing tons of research or anything like that, you certainly, like I said, you see people in a restaurant, they're not talking to one another, they're all on their phones. Or wherever we go, you see more and more people on their electronic device instead of reading or talking to somebody or being able to just sit quietly with themselves. I've certainly worked with adults where they had an incredible level of anxiety and they could not do an activity like walking through the forest or or park without an electronic device, without some form of distraction. Wow. And so what does that what does that say to you? What does that mean to you? I mean, I know that's maybe a loaded question too, but well, it just means they can't be alone with themselves and their thoughts. Mm. You know, or another example is um I I've heard a 12-year-old say something to the effect of I'm only doing ballet, taekwondo and soccer this semester. I'm going to be so bored. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. And and wow. So there's something's happening where having quiet time and creative time doesn't really exist very much anymore, or not enough anyway. Wow. So it seems like we're kind of, we're, or the new generations are kind of um, uh, coming away from that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And it sounds, I mean, it even sounds like that's one thing that you may be suggesting in terms of parental wellness is that, you know, even just finding some time to spend with your child and not have an electronic device per se that can introduce, you know, a new mode of stimulation that's very different, you know, a conversation or just, you know, working on a puzzle together or something like that. Absolutely, absolutely it has major a major impact on on children when families really do spend time together and spend time talking or interacting, whether it's the puzzle, the board game, a conversation, it doesn't matter, but something that doesn't involve another form of distraction where you're not interacting. 
And so, okay, so then just out of curiosity, do you think, um, or have you seen, like, if we're talking about um, child behavior, and we're talking about, um, which we'll come to um, in the next segment about boundaries, but we're talking about, you know, how do you manage some of this stuff? Does it seem to you that when parents do spend some time with their kids, you know, as opposed to a technological device, that it does create a little bit more uh, control for the parents? Like, in control I use loosely. Yeah, hugely. If you think about it, I mean, when a parent is spending time with their child without the electronic device, they're saying, I like you enough to want to be with you. And I'm interested in what you think and what you have to say, and I want to hear your questions about, you know, the philosophy of the world or whatever it might be. Mm. So I get from what you're saying, too, that really um, putting the effort in to have a dialogue can be a strategy. Yes. To um, helping children with uh, unusual behaviors even for parents to keep their sense of control and calmness is really just opening up a dialogue with your kids. Right, exactly. You certainly get to understand better where they're coming from when they make choices. And they start to rely on you more. Not that when they become preteens and teenagers that they don't start to shift towards relying on their friends. However, if you have put that time in, uh, to getting to know your child and demonstrating that you want to know them, they will have absorbed a lot from you. Oh, so that's really an important message then is, is you know, when when parents do spend time with their children and, and really um, be involved in that sense, you're really letting them know and affirming them. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, well, stay tuned. We'll come right back and uh, talk about boundaries and how they relate to parental wellness. So uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Cancer is not something to be taken lightly, but instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the cancer coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine, navigating the cancer maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time with Dr. Serena Wathwa. If you have a question or comment for the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drserenawathwa at gmail.com. That's drserenawathwa at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. All right, and welcome back, and thanks to those of you that have been listening in today. We're talking about parental wellness with Dr. Carla Steingraber, and, you know, one of the things that you have indirectly mentioned um, through to, through the show today is, is really about, like, um, consequences and rewards, and in some re- in some ways, you know, the the idea of boundaries come up with that. And so, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit because that is something, um, you know, that we are going to talk about is just what are boundaries? Why are they important? Why do we, you know, with children especially, um, you know, what 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 purpose do they serve? Well, boundaries in in general, they they exist wherever we go. Right. I mean, we're we're already bound by our skin and bones. We exist in a in a confined space, and the boundaries in everything we do. The school day starts and ends at the same time almost every day, etc. So there are all these boundaries that are are real. And when you maintain boundaries with your children, you are mimicking the rest of the world and helping them to prepare for reality. Uh, there are boundaries to behavior as well in terms of what is accepted, what is safe, what's allowable, those kinds of things. And certainly parents need to maintain boundaries with their children. They're just some things children don't need to see or hear or be in on all the time or at certain ages and sometimes maybe ever. Mm. And so kind of like when we set boundaries with children, we're – where so how does that kind of like translate into child language like if you're saying you know there's some things that children just don't need to hear they don't need to know about they don't need to be exposed to and you know and boundaries are one way of i guess protecting them from that um what like what does that do in terms of um i think i just lost my train of thought so i'm going to let you re restate what you said there for a minute. Well, boundaries just help prepare us for the world, and there, there are just some things that children would not be able to understand or comprehend or that they shouldn't necessarily be exposed to. You know, there's a reason why we have doors, for example. Mm. There's some privacy. There's certain things that happen in private that children don't need to be exposed to or don't need to expose others to. Ah, okay. So there are just some things that need to be private. Right. Okay. And so what does that do then for, for children to know that, you know, like parents have private moments, there are private conversations, there are some things that they are not allowed to know about. I mean, I, 
I, th- you know, I just kind of wonder like if listeners are just like, like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to hide things from my children. I don't want, I don't want to lie to them about what we're talking about or something. So how, how do you address that? Well, there's definitely a difference between lying to your child and letting them know that some things are personal or private. You know, you never want to lie to the child and say, oh, well, your father and I, we never discuss money matters. It's <laughs> not like like that, but certainly you can say if the child is, for example, worried about the financial situation of the family, you say, well, your father and I or whoever, we're handling it. We know what we're doing and we'll take care of it, and we'll make sure that you're taken care of. So even though you may not know what you're doing, (laughs) you can tell them that. Certainly, because ultimately you have much more experience than they do, and they can't handle the situation better than you. Ah, okay, because they don't know anything about finances. Right, right, exactly. And it's important that they understand that you're competent or think you're competent, because otherwise this type of grandiosity develops where they become the parental figure. They start to take over. They start to make choices thinking they know better than you. And um, that makes it difficult for them to survive in the rest of the world because then you go into every job placement thinking your boss is an idiot. (laughs) And bosses don't always like that. Right. Especially if you have no boundary and you tell them that all the time. Precisely. (laughs) So in a way, you're also teaching children by setting these boundaries, you know, kind of these limits, so to speak, that there are some things that are going to be appropriate and there are some things that are not appropriate. And there are some spaces that you're allowed into and there are some spaces you're not allowed into. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what kinds of things do people do? Parents need to be mindful of with setting boundaries because I know, like, when you and I had talked before, um, you know, one thing that you had mentioned is that some parents may not want to set boundaries because they don't want to hurt their child's feelings. Right. Right. The, that's one thing where parents gets you know they get or they slip up rather is that they do really want to be friends with their child, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the best thing a parent can do for a child is be willing to be the bad guy when it comes to their health and safety. Ooh, I just felt a chill and a cringe, so I wonder how many listeners felt <laughs> that. Being willing to be the bad guy, that's, that's an interesting phrase. But And it sounds like, though, that that's necessary when you're trying to set appropriate boundaries and effective boundaries with your kids. Right, right. Okay. And, and so doing so more out of wanting to teach them um, about their own limits and, you know, what's imp- what what are the limits of the world and things of that nature. Right. Okay. So can you give like maybe a couple different uh, quick suggestions in the couple minutes we have left about what might be appropriate boundaries for parents to make? Like if if there's a parent out there that's listening right now and they're just like, oh, I want to try this. I want to make more effective boundaries. What might be some examples of that? Oh, it could be almost anything. I mean, Children maybe shouldn't be in on the details of a financial discussion or mm-hmm. on the details of um, things that might be really overwhelming to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can certainly 
tell them some parts of what's going on, but some of the details that get really overwhelming or graphic would be too much. Um, drinking, drugs, etc. There's certain ages when it's just not okay to do that because mm-hmm. it's not safe. Mm-hmm. So those would be a couple examples of boundaries that they could, because I know the one conversation that comes up a lot is, you know, how do you talk with your children about sex? Yeah. That, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. So it sounds like there are appropriate ways to do it. And there's also a need to pull back on de- um, details of it. Well, it depends on what you're talking about. Are the parents talking Got about it. their sex life or their friend's sex life with their children? That would be a problem right mm. there. However, if they're talking to the child about sex and, and um, what they're thinking, find out what they're thinking. What is it they want? How are they feeling? And how do you help to shape what their libido is telling them along mm. with what's going to be safe for them so that they become young adults that can make safe choices for themselves? So again, once again, just having a dialogue. Yes. Dialogue is so important. Dialogue is important. Well, you know, thank you so much for coming on today and talking about all this really interesting information about boundaries and, um, you know, uh, being able to manage some of this unusual behavior with children and how to keep your own sense of um sense of self when dealing with unusual behavior in a child. So if listeners want to get a hold of you, what are some ways that they can contact you? They can certainly call me, and my number is 847-778-3997. And they can also send me an email. and My email is k-e-a-s at a prioris, A-P-R-I-O-R-I-S dot net. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your information. There's lots of good stuff here. And listeners, thanks for staying tuned to us and join us next time when we speak with David Zuniga, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who will be talking about spiritual wellness. Uh, Have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you so much, Serena. You're welcome. Thanks again for making the first of hopefully many changes this week by tuning in to Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time. Dr. Serena Wadwa hopes that you'll join her again next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.